Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read 10 verses. You can find it on page 12 of your worship guide or on the screen. This is Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, writing to Christians at Philippi, says this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, taken, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know me by now, and I know you, and we trust each other, right? <laughs> sure, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to trust that you're going to take what I'm about to say in its best possible way, knowing I have a point here. I want to tell you this about me, okay? I was baptized just 14 days after I was born. I was born into a family in which, in my just immediate family, excuse me, my extended family, there are 16 people, adults, who have given the majority, if not the entirety, of their life to full-time work in the church. That's my extended family. In my immediate family, six out of six. I'm a third-generation pastor on my mother's side and my father's side. That's my tribe. That's my family pedigree. As far as my degrees, I have an undergraduate degree mastering in biblical languages, minoring in theological German. I have a postgraduate degree 
sounds like Hogwarts, but it's not. It's called a master of divinity. As far as my passion for religion, you and me, we started a church. And by God's grace, if he wills it, we're going to plant more churches. Okay, enough. Or is that enough? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. No, not me, but you. And the question that is ever before you and me, am I enough? That's the question that this section of Scripture begs us to contemplate. Am I enough? You know, you know that I didn't tell you my background to try to impress you, but to impress upon you a point that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wanted to make. That whether you have the title of apostle or pastor, or you're someone that doesn't have those, it it doesn't matter. There is a temptation common to all people to find your righteousness, your rightness, your enoughness in the things you do personally, in the things you do professionally, and even the things you do spiritually. And that's why Paul gets borderline boastful with what he said here. It's because in Philippi, there was religious influencers who were talking to the Christians there saying, yeah, God's grace, his faith, his goodness, his righteousness, that's all good. But how do you know you're enough? How do you know you're worthy enough for all of that? And so that's where Paul comes in. And he gets a little savage comparing himself to others saying, look, Look, my achievements in the sphere of a life of a Pharisee, you can't touch them. But his point isn't that. His point is a warning that, that he knows what it's like to live life basing your worth, your value, your enoughness on what you do, on what you've achieved. And I'll admit people peddling that that propaganda today, it's easy for for me to be tempted by that. I'm going to be honest with you. My favorite genre of literature is a to-do list. I am a productivity fiend. Optimization, not just for commuters, that's for people. And you start to wonder, is, is what I value, my faith, my confidence, is it about what I do for Christ? Or is it about what Christ has done for me? And that's where Paul comes in. And that's why I need this section of scripture. And I know you do too. It's a, it's a warning. It's a warning for everyone who, who looks for their righteousness, their rightness in, in things they've done. But it's not just a warning. What this section of scripture is, Besides the warning, it is a warm embrace. It is a warm embrace from your Savior that says to you and you and all of your strivings to just stop. I love you. And that's why you're enough. I mean, can you feel that? 
Would you like to, in your life, feel more of that? Would you like to live throughout your life not having to wonder or know if, if you're enough? I know that you would, and I know that because we live in a world that is increasingly less religious in the institutional and traditional sense, but increasingly more religious in maybe a secular sense. Because after all, as one author put it, religion is not, doesn't have to be just church. It's really whatever you look to as the story of your life to make you feel whole. It's whatever ladder that you climb in your life to stop and, and feel as though you have meaning and purpose. It's whatever you tell yourself so you feel that your life matters. And it could be anything. It could be politics or family or money or friends or fitness. It really doesn't matter what it is. It's just really not the thing in and of itself. It's the feeling it gives you, the feeling of hope, the feeling of knowing you're enough. That's what Paul is getting at here when he says this. And he, he talks about having a righteousness of his own, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. You understand the law, right? Law says, do this, don't do that. It, it gives you kind of this metric. Okay, if, if I do this, then, I, then I've done enough things right. But how about that word righteousness? Do you understand what that word means? What that idea means? Perhaps not. And yet, it's something intrinsic in the human experience. We all want to find rightness or righteousness somewhere. So here's what I want to do to help us maybe wrap our minds around this theological, biblical term of righteousness and make it concrete. I want to suggest a synonym. I've already hinted at it. Maybe we compare it to enoughness. And while enoughness isn't a one-to-one -one equivalent, it, it does a pretty good job because righteousness in and of itself, it, it means there is a line. There is a line between being right and not being right. But we don't talk in terms of righteousness in our everyday lives because, well, it's a church word. And if we're righteous, then we feel we're being pious and hypocritical. If we're not righteous, we feel we're being judgmental. And so let's use this word enoughness because like righteousness, there's a line down the middle. Either you're enough, you've done enough, or you're not. So where is it in your life where you're, where you're pursuing enoughness? They say, well, me and Jesus. Well, maybe here's another way to think about it. Where in your life are you most tired? Are you most worn out? Think carefully about that and ask yourself if your exhaustion is because of a striving, a desiring to be enough, to validate your existence. Maybe it's in romantic or personal relationships. You think if, if you just get that boy or that girl to like you, then you'll be enough. That if you achieve that relationship status, then it'll all be good. 
Maybe it's not that. Maybe, maybe parents. Maybe your enoughness comes in parenting. Okay, I, I know I'm talking to perhaps one of the most tired subgroups with that, but ask yourself, is your tiredness as a parent, does that, does that come from, well, the normal responsibilities necessary in parenting? Or does your exhaustion come from this pursuit, this ideal that if I can just find the right parenting methodology, if I can just get on the right children parenting schedule, then they're not perfect, but I'll know I've done enough. I have done enough to maybe raise a close to perfect child. Look at your work. Is your job a source of income where you can care and provide for your families, or is it more than that? Is it the primary thing in your life that defines your worth? What you produce, what you achieve, your happiness, well, is either enough or not based on work. Maybe it's not work at all. Maybe it's the exact opposite. Maybe for you, the area in your life where you are most tired is going after rest. And you never say that, well, rest and me time is my second religion because then it'd be admitting that leisure time is your religion. So you don't call it hobbies or rest time. You say, now this is my side hustle. This is my training. These are my projects. But when you've done enough of those, then you're enough. Maybe you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. But no, you would never schedule time, at least a whole day, for stillness and unhurried quietness. Because then when people ask you how you're doing, you wouldn't get to say, I'm busy and feel like you're doing enough. And then you'd be forced to just sit there in quietness and answer the question. Am I enough? Am I smart enough? Am I desirable enough? Am I thin enough? Am I influential enough? Am I kind enough? Am I, am I serving enough? Am I good enough? It's part of who you are to want to be enough. The fancy theological term is called the opinio legis. It's the opinion of the law that, that somehow through doing things, doing the law or doing enough right things, I will be right enough that if I just figure it out, I will somehow validate my entire existence before others for sure and maybe, maybe enough to validate it before God. But here's Paul's whole point. It'll never be enough. Enoughness is a mirage. It, it doesn't exist because just like Mr. Rockefeller, how much more money? Just a little bit more. It's, it's never going to be attained. As soon as you have it in your hands, there's always going to be something that you don't have. So enough will just never be enough. So when is enough enough? And that's why Paul why Paul so emphatically says this. He says everything, everything that I used to consider enough, it's trash. Paul says this. He says, 
Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Paul once considered his enoughness based on his really impressive religious pedigree and accomplishments. But then, but then, Christ found him on the road to Damascus, kicked him off a donkey, and embraced him in his enoughness and said, Paul, I love you. You are enough in me. And and notice this, Paul didn't just stop and say, oh, that's good. He actually went a step further and he said, everything else, everything that I used to think was good is not good enough. It is a loss. All of the things that I used to stack up and check off one by one of all the things that made me enough, I take that whole list and I crush it compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And here's the application for you and me. You know, because you have heard it. You are enough in Christ. But it's not a both and. You can't say, well, I know I'm enough in Christ, but I'm also going to try to be enough in this. Both enough in both places. No, it's either or, Paul says. It's either you are constantly striving for, for human enoughness, or you are enough because of who you are in Christ Jesus. He goes on. He says, I consider it garbage. It's actually a stronger word than that, probably excrement. I consider it trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here and elsewhere, scripture talks about two kinds of righteousness or two kinds of enoughness. On the one hand, there is knowing enough that you are enough because Jesus has done not just enough, like, ah, eh, good enough. He's done it all. He has suffered, dies, and risen for you and made himself one with you. And you have your identity in him. And then there is striving for enoughness through the law. There's righteousness that is gifted to you. There's enoughness that comes to you. And here's one more Latin phrase, ready? Extra nos. It comes from outside of yourself to you. Or there's enoughness that you try to well up inside of you and through the things that you do, achieve it. And then you have it. There's that. And then there's Christ. There's everything else that well, Paul says is a loss, and then there's Christ. There's trash, and then there's Christ. Here's the application for you and me, that what this is driving towards essentially is your identity. It is who you are. It is being able to wake up in the morning and look at the woman or the man in the mirror, and when that haunting question comes ringing in, am I enough, you can look back and say unequivocally, yes, I am enough because I am in Christ. I am found in him. You want to talk about legacy? You want to talk about baptism? You want to talk about what family you're a part of? You are a part of Christ's family because of your baptism. That is who you are. That is your tribe. That is where you come from. You come from Christ, and you're found in him. Here's maybe the first part of our big idea for today is that you are enough 
because of Christ's enoughness. And if we're making that concrete, we might try to understand enoughness, but we're talking about righteousness. You are righteous because Christ has clothed you with his righteousness. And that's why Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Friends, there is one event. There is just one event that can take a person from striving for enoughness through the things that they do and through the way that they are and allow them to live in the freedom of knowing that their identity and their, their enoughness comes from Christ. There's one event, there's one thing that can bring about that shift in thinking. It is the death and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Lord. And by your baptisms, by the word of God, you are brought in to that death and resurrection. So we die to that way of thinking and we lose it. We completely consider it a loss compared to knowing the life that we have in Christ. What does it mean to know Christ? It means that you get to know the surpassing worth of what life in him is like. And then when you think you know it, you get to spend the rest of your lifetime discovering there's always more to know. There's knowing that, that, well, sufferings and sadness and come what may, that you stand in the love of Christ. That the power of his resurrection, the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, that is in you. The Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is with you. And so not just somehow, like, ah, maybe I'll attain the resurrection of the dead. No, you will attain the resurrection of the dead. The only somehow that's left is knowing when and knowing what that looks like. So I just threw a lot of really heavy biblical concepts at you. If you take away just, just one thing from this encouragement that Paul gives, let me maybe summarize it with the hip-hop artist Macklemore's word. The very spiritual but not at all religious Macklemore in his song Thrift Shop said, one man's trash, that's another man's come up. And if you're not, you know, with it, I guess, uh, a come up is a good thing, an opportunity, okay? It's a play on the common phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And you get that, you get that idea, but here's just a little bit of background to that song. He's making fun of fast fashion and the idea that everyone thinks they're cool because they've spent an exorbitant amount of money for a t-shirt. And what he's saying is that that to me is garbage. What is treasure to me is finding things that last, things that they don't make it like they used to, finding, you know, things in the thrift shop. All right, here's the way Jesus put it. He said, the stone the builders rejected, that has become the capstone. If you take anything away from this, know this, that the way the world thinks, that your value, your worth, your enoughness, they're going to call it treasure, but it's trash. And the things that most people would consider absolute garbage, just your religion, it is actually a religion founded on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus in whom 
you are enough. Question then is, so now what? And that's how Paul wraps this up. He wraps it up by letting you know what to expect when you find your enoughness in Christ. First this, look at these two highlights. You will live looking to just take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you. You will live looking to win a prize that God has already called you towards in heaven. So in other words, here's the big idea that we're adding on today. You are enough because, well, of Christ's enoughness. And that means you will always be enough. Think about the gospel in this way. It is Christ Jesus hugging you, taking hold of you, and not letting you go. It's like when I run races with my boys, if I want them to tie or win with me, I will run up behind them. And while I could pass them, I don't. I grab them and hold on to them. So we win together. That is Christ for you. It is picking you up and running with you and holding you on, calling you to a prize that you already have. There's more. It's not only that, but he also looks at his life and he says, okay, okay, I'm, I'm not just going to get spiritually apathetic. I'm not going to act like I've already just made it spiritually. It's not that I've already obtained all this or even that I've obtained all this. No, he recognizes that he's a sinner saint who's still going to be tempted to find enoughness in, in his value and worth that comes from him. And so he says, no, I'm, I have yet to take a hold of it, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to press on. I'm going to take hold of that which God has given me. I'm going to forget what is behind, like a runner in a race. I'm not going to be looking over my shoulders. I'm going to look straight ahead, blinders on, towards a goal, towards a prize, so that I win it, even though Christ has already given it to me. It's at this point in a sermon where I would like to like, send you out with a thing to do. Maybe this week we don't. We just say enough. We just stop. In, in maybe the declarative sense and not the interrogative sense of, oh, am I enough? But no, we just, we say enough. Because we know you are enough in Christ, we just say enough. Enough to all of the ways that we have looked to personally, professionally, spiritually come up with our own enoughness and we just go after, we just press on towards that which you already have, knowing that you're in Christ. We just stop. We say enough to, to trying to be something of ourselves spiritually, and we just strain towards a prize we already have. We have heaven in Christ. Let me give you a maybe concrete picture of this and what this looks like. I said, um, we're not going to tell any more stories or talk any more about me this morning. That was only partially true. I have just one more. I want to tell you about a race that I won. Yes, that's right. I, I won a race. It's the 2018 Dahlgren Half Marathon. I should probably clarify that a little bit. I didn't win the race. I won my age group. To maybe clarify that a little bit more, that uh, there was only four people signed up in my age group. 
And I know this because you guys should do it. The Dahlgren Trail Half Marathon is a really wonderful community event. There's not a thousand runners in it. There's only a few dozen. And they line you up according to your age ahead of time. And well, there's just four people standing around. And when, when roll call came around, the first person did not even show up. The second person by their, well, less than enthusiastic voicing of the fact that they were there and the fact that they weren't even wearing running shoes but hiking boots, um, maybe made it point out that I'm like, oh, I might only have one person as my competition here. But the, the fourth, the third person, excuse me, who was there was really enthusiastic that he was running in this race. He had told me about how hard he had trained. And I'm starting to think, wow, this is going to be tough. But then he said, yeah, these are my times. This is my goal. And I'm starting to think to myself, I'm not that much faster, but I think I can win this. I think I can win this. And as I'm thinking this, this third person who couldn't have been more kind and more encouraging says, hey man, what do you want to finish in? And I, and I told him it's just maybe a little bit faster than what he was hoping to. And he gives me a huge embrace and pat on the back. And he says, you're going to win our age group. You can do this. And I'm thinking to myself, I can do this. I can win this race. And so I start off, I take off running. And because it's near the Delgren base, oftentimes runners say they're their GPS gets messed up. And it says I'm running a three-minute mile, which I can't do. And it says I'm running 15 miles, which I know I have not done. And so I'm starting to worry that this guy who's, I'm thinking, not as fast as me is right next to me, and I don't know how fast I'm actually running. But I I press on. I, I keep running. And then I get to the water station, and I grab a cup, but it's empty. And so I'm really discouraged because here I am halfway through this race and I'm dying. But that's when I run through the, through the woods and this guy who was super kind and encouraging comes running at me behind me in a high five saying, come on, man, you got it. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can do it. I can finish. And then I see the guy in boots walking and I'm like, okay, I think I really can do this. And that's when I step on a log and hurt my foot, but I kept running. And the reason I kept running is because I experienced something I've never experienced before or since. And that's this idea that I might win this thing. And it changes the way you think about your race if you know you might win. As I told you, I did win. I won a prize, in fact, and I I didn't, like Paul says, forget about it. I actually remember it every time I put on these uh, running socks. They're They're clean, don't worry. But I won a gift card that was just enough to buy one pair of smart wool running socks. You think about how knowing I was going to win changed my race. I wasn't really even sure I was going to win. You think about your Christian race, your life as a Christian. Friends, you know you're going to win. Because Christ Jesus has called you home to heaven. He's given you a prize. And it's just not some nice stranger who's kind and encouraging, running with you, giving you high fives. No, Christ Jesus has taken hold of you, has embraced you, and he is running with you. And in fact, carrying you when you get maybe a little disoriented, or maybe you feel like you're not filled up enough, or maybe you feel like you're hurt or injured. It is Christ Jesus who has taken hold of you and who is power, the same power that rose him from the dead, is with you, making you enough, giving you enough of what you need until you finally obtain the prize that's already yours. The hymn puts it this way, 
what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and, and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Would you please stand as we give thanks to Christ for that? Lord God, we come before you and humbly admit that as sinful humans, we look to produce our own righteousness. We look to be enough based on what we do and who we are. Forgive us for that. Help us to live in you. Help us to be found all the days of our lives in your sanctuary where we are reminded by you that we are enough. And not because of our effort or our pressing on or our straining, but we're enough because you strove towards the cross, died and rose for us to give us your righteousness. Help us to live out of this in your name. Amen.